It's the Friday News and Notes edition, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Winner's Way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, August the 30th. It's show number 40 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our regular weekly Friday Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola discussing the collapse of Jeff Locke, the ethics of non-contenders playing out the fantasy season, stretch run starting pitchers, and much more. Rob Gordon, who usually stops by on Tuesday, joins us instead today, looking at Pittsburgh right-handed pitching prospect Tyler Glasnow. And in our regular Friday matchups analysis, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at Alex Wood hosting Miami, Chad Bettis facing Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers, and some others. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's our last regular podcast of the season. we got to talk some baseball. Yes, it's the last regular podcast of the fantasy baseball season. We'll be back a couple of times with special editions in September. On Friday the 13th, Rob Gordon will be here to look at the minor league season, telling us which prospects took big steps forward, which prospects took some big steps backwards. And he'll also bring us up to date on the prospects scheduled to appear at the Arizona Fall League. Then on Friday, September 27th, it's our annual Baseball HQ Fantasy Awards. Fantasy Most Valuable Players, Cy Youngs, Rookies of the Year, Biggest Busts, and the Top Stories from the 2013 Fantasy Season. Right now, we have our co-MVPs of Baseball HQ Radio, our League Watch News reporters. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League, and leading off, it's our National League report, and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Glad to be here, Patrick. Stephen Nickrand is our starting pitching buyer's guide columnist. Of course, we've talked about Stephen's columns many times over the season and over the years, in fact, here at Baseball HQ Radio. Julio Tehran, the starting pitcher in Atlanta, seems to pop up in a lot of Stephen's columns. He does indeed, and that's because this guy has got amazing skills, especially for someone who's only 22 years old. I mean, he's had his struggles, certainly, in, in the, the month of April, for example, 5.08 ERA, but but has really, really come on the last part of the year. It's been absolutely fantastic. A 3.12 ERA in the first half, 3.02 ERA in the second half, a strong BPV all the way through. Uh, this guy looks like he's, he's certainly for real. 
uh, a definite, definite someone you want to hang on to in a keeper league, and, and you look at his numbers and see are there any are there any warning flags there? Well, the second half, 3.99 xERA, his fly ball rate is up from from 36 percent to 46 percent, uh, but those are probably the only warning signs you'd be looking at. This guy looks fantastic. He's much stronger at home in Atlanta than he has been on the road. That's that's true. He's been been incredible in Atlanta than he has been on the road. So there's still some learning to go on. And I you know you wonder why those things happen to somebody. Uh, and certainly it may be a, a thing of getting comfortable with the crowd in a, in a strange hostile environment. Uh, but uh, and, and there have been some definite splits there. But that's something, of course, at age 22 that you can eventually overcome. Also, his fly ball percentage uh, may be a little cause for concern. I was just looking at Tehran's monthly record, and his ground ball percentage in April started at 46%, now down to 28 Yeah, the ground ball percentage has, has, gone, has gone down, and so it's, uh, you know, guys are getting the ball in the air more against him, and so far that's not showing up too much in his earned run average, but uh, it's something to keep an eye on, and you have to wonder why that's happening. Has he changed his approach? Is he just getting tired as the year wears on? Uh, it's a little hard to tell from this uh, just from this one-year sample. It's definitely something we're going to have to try to figure out. Also, in August, his control ratio, 4.0 walks per nine innings. That's way up from what it was earlier in the year. And uh, he seems to be very lucky with the strand rate of over 80%, especially with that many more fly balls. And even though his home run per fly ball rate has stayed pretty consistent, the increase in fly balls has meant an increase in home runs. He's over uh, one home run per nine innings. Another little cause for concern. This is something that really is going to bear watching maybe for the balance of the season. And then as we try to calibrate for next year, you'd like to know, boy, does this guy have a chance, Julio Terran, does he have any kind of chance of putting together a full season like he put together this year in June alone? 195 ERA, 093 whip, dominance rate of 10.3 strikeouts per nine. If he could do that for a whole year, he'd be an elite pitcher. Absolutely, absolutely, and so uh, you're right. We have to watch and see whether that was just a uh, that was a uh, a one-time thing, uh, or whether he can do that over the long term as he matures. Something we haven't talked a lot about at BaseballHQ.com, Nick, is the first impressions that we have when uh, guys come up for their first run through in the big leagues. And uh, Brent Hershey did one a little earlier this week, looking at another starting pitcher in Atlanta, Alex Wood. You know, Alex Wood has been a, maybe a bit of a surprise as he's come up this year. I mean, he's. A, He's got a 2.27 ERA, a 1.19 BPV, 9.4 strikeouts per nine innings, uh, 3.03 xERA. This guy has looked absolutely fantastic, uh, and, and and done it very consistently over, but about uh, what uh, eight starts at this point. So uh, has not uh, not been able into the fire a lot, but he is is performing consistently, certainly in the short term. And the first impressions column uh, that we that we have for uh, for guys who've just come up for rookies uh, let you take a look at that and see uh, is, is something like this likely to be for real and uh, as Brent says an impressive debut certainly a one spot start uh, in June but uh, most of June and July in the bullpen but then into the rotation and has pitched very very well uh, high dom rate uh, throwing strikes keeping good command at the uh, at the majors and a ground ball machine I mean absolutely throwing a lot of ground balls the scouting reports on him say he's more of a mid-rotation starter than an ace, but uh, certainly right now he looks like he could develop into an ace, ace-caliber pitcher. What I liked about what Brent said was he pointed to his record in the minor leagues in 2012 at low A ball, and these are unadjusted stats. Ordinarily we talk about major league equivalents, so keep in mind these are the unadjusted stats. An 8.9 per strike, strikeouts per nine dom rate, 
in the major leagues, it's been 9.9, which means he's striking out more guys at the major league level than he did at low A ball. And if nothing else, that has to that has to be an encouraging sign. It certainly does. I mean, you expect a little, a little erosion as a guy moves up, uh, and uh, certainly that has not happened so far with Alex Wood. Going into 2013, Nick, a lot of people put a lot of uh, emphasis on trying to get Adam Eaton, the Arizona outfielder, onto their rosters. Of course, he spent mo- most of the first half or all of the first half on the year on the disabled list. He finally got activated uh, just in July and has been very hot of late. He has indeed. Over the last uh, over the last month, he's looked like the kind of guy that you certainly want on your roster. 295 batting average, a couple of home runs, a couple of stolen bases. Uh, so you begin to ask, all right, is, is this is this what we're seeing over the last month for real? Uh, struggled when he first came up, and certainly you, you might expect a little of that. But, uh, you know, there's some warning signs with Adam Eaton that you've got to take a look at. 257 XBR expected batting average at this point. Uh, not a lot lower than his overall 263 batting average, but still... Uh, that's that's not as strong as you would like it to be. Also, he's not displayed much power, 71 PX so far. So even though he's got a couple of home runs, uh, power has not really been there. What he's shown a lot of is speed, but a, and a 52% ground ball rate goes with the speed. So uh, I think a lot of potential with Adam Eaton. I'm not sure we know what we've got yet. Maybe this drives down his price for 2014 to the very late rounds, $1 or $2 pick at the end because nobody knows quite what to expect. Uh, they'll be risk-averse. I don't know. Would you take a crack at Adam Eaton as a 22nd rounder or a $3 player in 2014? Yeah, I think so. that's the kind of guy you just take a crack at it at that point in the in the draft, but certainly not a lot higher. The other thing that, that may be a little bit of concern at this point, I've got to remember that he had a broken hand during the final week of the season, so uh, missed some time there, was on the DL to start this year. Uh, is this a guy who's going to have uh, injury problems? Uh, hard to tell at this point. On the good side, lots of outfielders, in, especially in shallower leagues, if you take a crack at Adam Eaton, he doesn't work out, well, okay, go get another guy like him for, from the free agent pool and, and carry on. Uh, finally, Nick, uh, in San Diego, Everett Cabrera, of course, after the biogenesis scandal, he's not going to be playing a lot, but uh, this, again, is raising questions for 2014. Is he a keeper? Is he a guy to target? What, what do we think of a guy coming out of the biogenesis situation? You know, very, very, some, some interesting questions here. And I, I have a couple of leagues that I play in. Everett Cabrera was uh, was unceremoniously dropped in keeper leagues uh, right after the biogenesis thing hit. And so he's sitting out there on the waiver wire to, to end the year. And so the question is, what you know, what do you do with a guy like this as you head into the next season? If you look at his performance this year, the, the most encouraging thing about this year's performance for Cabrera was an increase in his contact rate, up from 72% a year ago to 82% this year. And that was driving a batting average of 283 as opposed to 246 a year ago. And that's a huge difference for a guy who has no power, who's, uh, who's real. Uh, what he brings to the table is speed. Here's a guy capable of stealing 50 bases. And uh, think about the difference. If you've got a 50 stolen base guy who's hitting 283 on your roster versus a guy who's hitting below 250. So the question is, what's, what's Biogenesis going to do? And if he's off the stuff and has been on the stuff, right. uh, what difference is that going to make? And the, the answer is we don't know. Uh, you know, you and, and you look at the history and you see different things. Melky Cabrera was wonderful a year ago, uh, not so much this year after his suspension. Uh, Bartolo Colon, it's made absolutely no difference. He, he took the suspension a year ago uh, and has pitched incredibly well this year. So, you know, I think we don't know what's going to happen after guys come back from biogenesis. But I think what you do look at with Everett Cabrera is here's a guy who's capable of hitting around 280 and stealing 50 bases and probably shouldn't be sitting out on the waiver wire as you, if you're in the keeper league. 
This all raises kind of an interesting ethical question. There are lots of fantasy baseball owners, we see it in the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, who are or claim to be quite disgusted at these players for what they call cheating, but by whatever definition, certainly playing outside the rules as far as these PEDs are concerned. But <laughs> if you want to have a competitive fantasy team and Everett Cabrera is sitting there on the waiver wire waiting for you to grab him, do you just put your ethical concerns aside, your your disdain for his methods aside, and grab him because he might help your team? Well, you know, and I think the other thing that you've got to you've got to ask yourself, I, you know, my, my son-in-law played uh, played baseball for a long time and gets just absolutely infuriated at uh, people suggesting that uh, uh, that that uh, these guys who are taking PEDs are getting help in performance and other people aren't. Uh, he talks about the kind of surgeries that go on that are certainly uh, uh, increasing guys' playing time and, and the length of time they play uh, and, and saying that, uh, you know, everybody's getting help. Uh, it, it may not be maybe a different kind of help than the guys in the PD. So the ethical questions are certainly out there uh, in a way that they weren't, uh, that they weren't say, 50 years ago. Uh, his, and one of his big examples is Mickey Mantle played, uh, played most of his career with a bum leg. So what, you know, what would have happened if he had uh, had the kind of surgery that we have today and what kind of a player would Mickey Mantle have been, you know? So interesting kinds of questions, and so uh, you know the ethical the ethical issues I think are, are important ones, uh, but I, I think we've also got to look at um, the guys who are not taking those drugs. What are they taking? Uh, and just because what they're taking is legal this year, uh, will it be legal next year? And also, as we found out, a lot of the guys who aren't taking drugs later on turned out to have been taking drugs all along and just been better at it and cheating. The other the other example that. that in the in the realm of things that you mentioned, Nick, is LASIK surgery, and this is a uh, this is a perfectly legal procedure. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's certainly a performance enhancing technique. Like you're born with some some set of eyeballs, and you go in and you uh, undergo an unnecessary medical treatment. Keep in mind, this is not to fend off blindness. This is just to make you a better batter, so that you can see the ball better. And it's a it's a foreign non-natural thing that you do and nobody seems to have a the tiniest bit of interest in saying that this is performance enhancing the only difference seems to be when we call it quote drugs close quote everybody gets mad right very definitely and you know the other questions are when guys are given uh, all kinds of caffeine pills and all kinds of tylenol to uh, before they before they go out of the field is that performance enhancing uh, is it drugs uh, you know Major League Baseball and a lot of the columnists and stuff try to portray it as a, a solid border, a, a, a black line that's drawn between on this side of it you're cheating and on this side of it you're not, on this side of it you're enhancing your performance, on this side of it you're not. But come on, you know, I mean, they, they have a lot of things that they can do to perform better. And some of them are declared to be unacceptable without any actual reason beyond somebody declared them to be unacceptable. And and I think, to return to my original question, if I was in a keeper league and Everett Cabrera was on the waiver wire for four bucks as a keeper, you can bet I'd grab him. I Absolutely. have no compunction about it myself. All right, Nick, thanks very much for doing this, uh, not only today but all year. You've been a great source of wisdom and fun, and uh, this is our last show of the year for the regular season, and uh, I really appreciate all of your participation and comment, and I look forward to working with you on the uh, year-end awards show and then, of course, next year in 2014. Thanks a lot, Patrick. It's been a, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Harold Nichols writes for BaseballHQ.com.
and our intrepid National League reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. How you doing today? Doing great, doing great. Thank you very much. Uh, Jock, uh, Rod Truesdell in playing time today at BaseballHQ.com last week wrote about Bartolo Colon returning from the DL. He threw five innings of one-run ball against Detroit on Friday. Uh, no walks, but just one strikeout. He's had a pretty good season so far, but Rod was not particularly optimistic about Colon down the stretch. What's your take? Yeah, Colon's bottom line has been outstanding. He um, obviously with a with a two ninety seven ERA, but he's been out pitching his expected ERA by almost a run, and it looks like it's getting worse. Rod pointed out that uh, on a monthly basis, his ERA has risen every month, going from three point six zero in April now to six point four six in in August. So while his year really looks good, uh, his last two starts before today weren't that good, and he's he really seems to be out on a limb, you know. Here, it's, it's with only four weeks left. Left, if he blows up in a few starts, um, that's all it takes to hurt your ERA right now. Yeah, and when you have a build like uh, Botolo Cologne does, out on a limb is probably where you don't want to be, but. Jock, is there any chance that this is a case of a veteran pitcher, a wily veteran pitcher, as some of the baseball announcers like to talk about, who's using his veteran experience to just pitch better than his skills? Yeah, I think I think you've, you've got something there, uh, PD. I, I think he uh, he definitely knows how to pitch. His control has been good all year. On the other hand, his walk rate is starting to go up. His strikeout rate is starting to fall, and he doesn't have any room for error right now. His his dom in the second half is his strikeouts per nine innings. He's 4.1 going in today, and as you noted, he only walked, uh, he only struck out one batter in five innings today. So uh, if you want to take a risk, you can definitely uh, uh, go with Bartolo Colon. He's one of those guys, maybe maybe the, the risk is worth it, but uh, it's just looking awfully shaky out there on that limb. I'd be surprised if Bartolo Colon is available in most leagues uh, because of his good record so far, notwithstanding the poor skills. I'll bet somebody's holding on to him. Uh, down in Kansas City, the Royals have had a nice little surge of late and have sort of moved into the fringes of the wild card race for that second wild card spot. And as part of their uh, retooling, trying to get to that playoff spot, they've taken Wade Davis out of the rotation and replaced him with Danny Duffy, a former top prospect in the Royals organization, coming off Tommy John surgery. Hasn't been too great a year for Tommy John patients this year, but Duffy looks good so far. Mike Shears wrote about Duffy in our Playing Time Today space and especially focused on the walks. What do you see? Duffy has always had a problem with the walks, stepping back to his rookie year just before he went down with uh, Tommy John surgery. I actually like Duffy here. Uh, his, his last game, uh, actually after Mike's column, he didn't walk anybody. He struck out seven in six innings. His, uh, his, his dominance is back. His fastball is uh, is in the upper 90s. Is actually averaging about 94 a game. He seems to be one of the two Tommy John outpatients who's done pretty well in coming back this year. Um, he's going to be in the rotation for the rest of the year, and I think next year he makes a, a, a real interesting play. But the walks are a concern. He's got to keep that down. He's got to keep his pitch count down because that's the thing that has kept him from going uh, going long in games and uh, and being real effective with the Royals. There's a bit of common wisdom that says pitchers come back from Tommy John surgery stronger and better able to pitch, and I think that's a bit of an oversimplification, but given the uh, 
the uh, physiotherapy and the recovery, if it's done right, that actually can be the case. So Duffy could be a good guy to grab, not only for this year, but as a keeper league prospect. He was a, a very good prospect when, when he was drafted originally. What does this say, meanwhile, about Wade Davis? Has he going to have any value in the bullpen? Yeah, I keep looking back at Davis's uh, 2012 when he had a 2.43 ERA out of the pen, and he struck out almost 12 hitters a game. Out of the pen, he had closer stuff last year. Um, I have a feeling if they just keep him there, he, if, he, if he's not injured, uh, he can return to that. Some, some pitchers are obviously just better out of the pen. I think he makes a real good flyer for, for uh, 20, uh, 2013 if they keep him there. You know, uh, the Joe Sheehan newsletter, Joe's a, a guest on our program from time to time, and he had an article, I don't know, a week or two weeks ago that talked about teams that move their pitchers in and out of the bullpen, and it seems to be, generally speaking, a recipe for disaster. And the name that jumps out at me, and it wasn't in Joe's column, is Daniel Bard of Boston, who was absolutely closer-worthy as a uh, setup man for Jonathan Papelbon. Then instead of just letting Bard step into that closer role, they went out and got uh, Andrew Bailey and uh, and a couple of other guys to try to step up, and uh, that was all a disaster. And meanwhile, Daniel Bard became a really bad starter and has come back and stayed bad as a reliever. Do you think that the constant moving guys back and forth maybe is a problem for teams? Yeah, I, I think it obviously hurts uh, some pitchers, as, as Joe notes, and history has proven uh, um, I think Davis is one of those guys. Bart is a very good example. It's going to be real interesting to see what Davis does next year. Other examples, I think uh, Alexei Ogando and Naftali Feliz down in Texas being moved back and forth in and out of the rotation, back and forth to the bullpen, didn't work out so well. Dave Adler had a facts and flukes piece at BaseballHQ.com about Stephen Drew in Boston. Looks like he'll be a free agent at the end of this year since uh, Xander Bogarts looks like the real deal at shortstop. And we talked about him last week, but what does that leave Drew looking like short-term and long-term? Well, I think the good news for Drew owners is that Boston's in postseason contention, and they're not about to bench him for an untested rookie without cause. And, and Drew's been red hot this August, so he has momentum. Uh, um, he's hit a bunch of home runs. Let's see, I think I have his stats here. Yeah, he's hit, uh, well, he's hit three home runs. He's hitting three oh six, which is surprising for Drew. He's, he's kind of a low-average hitter. Longer term, it's, it's a little tougher. Uh, I don't think he's going to be in Boston. And while he has wonderful power for a middle infielder, health, contact, and his ability to hit left-handed pitching is a problem. He's going to land somewhere, but barring a surprise of some sort, I don't think it's going to be in Boston. And wherever it is, is he going to be of use to somebody in a fantasy team, if not this year, then next? As Dave points out, his batting average against left-handed pitching is 198, uh, and it was 198 last year, so he's not getting any better. And his contact rate is diminishing as the years go on. So uh, he's getting up there in years, and it wouldn't be surprised if he takes over a platoon role with somebody next year. Anytime I see one of those plate skills declining with age, I always get a little worried because they should be getting a little better as players get more experienced, get a better reputation with umpires around the league, and so forth. Staying in the middle infield, your American League West Division Outlook column, Jock, you looked at the Angels and said Grant Green could be in line to get most of the at-bats for the rest of the year at second base because of Howie Kendrick's ongoing troubles with a strained knee. Let's talk about that for a minute. What's going on? Yeah, and this is three, four days after I've written a column now, and, and Kendrick still isn't running at full speed. He's not testing his, his sprained knee. The Angels aren't going anywhere, and there's no reason to bring him back. Uh, 
if and when Kendrick gets back, he may not play a lot of second base due to the knee issues and the injury risk. So I'm guessing that Green is going to get most of the at-bats down the stretch. Now, Green hasn't been without his issues in L.A. He's actually hitting very well. He's hitting well over 300 thanks to a, an inflated hit rate. Uh, he's not hitting for much power. Uh, he's showing what, to me, is surprising uh, patience. But he really looks uh, iffy at defense. His, 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 his footwork is a little strange, and he reacts slowly. I'm still not real sure what his future is and where it's going to be position-wise. Before Kendrick got hurt, Los Angeles was auditioning Green at third base down in AAA, but of course they changed those plans. But now Chris Nelson is on the DL. He was playing third base. He's got a pretty bad hamstring injury. Looks like he's done for the year. We can assume Grant Green won't be playing second and third for the Angels. So what are they going to do at the hot corner, both short-term and long? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I don't think the Angels even know this. Uh, for the short-term, uh, Luis Jimenez uh, will be the guy early on. You know, he was once an interesting prospect, but he's never had much patience, and for some reason his power has just vanished as he's come up through the minors. Uh, he was actually up earlier in the year, and he started off on fire. He hit, I think, in eight of his first ten games and uh, uh, was hitting year 400. And then he fell apart, but it was all hit rate related. Uh, he's a decent bench player. I don't see him as a started starter. Now, one of the interesting things is that the A's have signed Andy Marte. Do you remember that name? I do. Yeah, believe it or not, Andy Marte is still 29 years old, and he's hitting in Salt Lake City. I'm not really sure how viable he is on offense or defense. But the real killer long-term for the Angels has been the regression of their top prospect, Caleb Power, at third base. Um, pulling up his stats here, he's just had a terrible, terrible season in, in double-A, and they were hoping he might be knocking at the door this year. He's hit two twenty two, covering 483 at-bats. He's only hit six homers. Um, his contact is 75%. There's really been nothing good about Coward here. And I don't know if you remember, but he was, in, he was, a, a, he was a top 100 pick consensus-wise uh, early on this spring. I was looking at Andy Marte's line. Uh, he started with the Atlanta organization, spent five years in Cleveland. Not much to look at there, Jock. I have to say a three fifty eight slugging percentage in his big league career, uh, about two eighteen batting average. He's... 20 home runs or so, he's maybe 10 home runs a year on a 162-game basis. I don't think Andy Marte is going to be the answer for the Angels in any length of time. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think the interesting thing about, about Marte is that, believe it or not, he was once a top-20 prospect considered. But as you know, with his stats, he never really panned out in the majors. Uh, he was doing well in independent league, and he was doing well. He's doing well now in Salt Lake City, but then again, a lot of hitters do well at Salt Lake, so... You're right. I just thought the name was notable and that the Angels picked him up, and they're clearly looking for third baseman. Yeah, I had to laugh when you said he's doing well in the independent league. (laughs) He's not going to be seeing many uh, Justin Verlander fastballs in the independent league, I don't expect. Jock, thanks very much for joining us. This is the last regular show of the season, but we are going to have you back, I believe, in uh, the end of September. You'll be back as part of our roundtable discussing the fantasy baseball MVP Cy Young and other awards for the year. Thanks for everything you've done this year, Jock, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Okay, PD. We'll talk to you later. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our American League beat reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio. Coming up, our regular Friday Talk with Todd featuring Todd Zola. This is Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, 
scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. Sign up by August 31st to get a 40% discount on the registration fee. It's like getting Miguel Cabrera in the seventh round. First Pitch Arizona, come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. We'll see you there. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes Edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. You want to keep your eyes peeled this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column looks at the ever-expanding elite pool of players. The Daily Call-Ups report looks at players like Seattle right-handed pitcher Taiwan Walker, the Mets outfielder Matt Dendecker, Arizona left-hander David Holmberg, and many more top prospects. And Dr. HQ, Rick Wilton, has part two of his look at the rotator cuff. Plus, we have all our regular features, daily analysis of changes in playing time, performance validation in facts and flukes, our buyer's guides, divisional outlook columns, pitcher matchups, and much more. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd. It's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and ESPN.com in the insider section of their fantasy baseball coverage. Todd, welcome back to the show. Well, by the time the introduction's over, we're not going to have any more time to talk. That's right. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll catch you. <laughs> again sometime down the road. Todd, before we get started with uh, some theoretical stuff, I wanted to ask you about a player move that was made just the other day. The Pittsburgh Pirates sent down Jeff Locke to AA Altoona, and this is uh, quite a story. Yeah, the collective sigh of relief of uh, a lot of people that owned him, either yelling finally or, or why not before or something like that. It was interesting because uh, they've made it be clear that it's just temporary. It's sort of a you know, get his head on straight sort of thing. Uh, let's have a couple of starts down in the minors. We'll bring you back up in a couple of weeks, in a, in a week or so. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of those situations, as we've talked about, there are some pitchers who never uh, have regression kick in over the course of the season. Some people have it kick in slowly, and I think maybe Patrick Corbin is seeing a little bit of that lately. And then there's some that, boom, all at once, uh, you know, the gods of regression decide, you know, no more luck. Well, in his last three starts, he barely got over 10 innings, gave up 16 earned runs, uh, so many uh, hits and walks, it's it's really hard to count them all. This is a, this is could be presented, Todd, as one of the risks of hanging in there with a guy who appears to be outpitching his skills. We always expect that there's going to be regression, and indeed, practically everybody was saying about Jeff Locke all season long, be prepared for some regression. Be prepared for some regression. And it just didn't happen. And I think people fall into this false sense of security that when the regression starts, you'll see it coming. There'll be kind of an iffy start, maybe another iffy start, maybe a little bit worse start. And that'll give you plenty of time to get rid of him. But this isn't what happened here. He was sailing along doing his usual thing, and then kaboom, it just blew up. Luck doesn't occur in increments. It just occurs randomly. Now, what may have actually happened with Locke, uh, and there's a little bit of reason to believe is that he's just growing tired because his walk rate has increased a lot 
over the course, you know, since since the All Star break, and part of what was keeping him successful, along with a fortuitous hit rate, etc., was a very very low walk rate. Um, that's part of this is they think he might be getting a little tired, and you know, putting him down in the minors, it's a little bit less stressful. So maybe that will rejuvenate him because you know Pittsburgh's still in it. They're uh, still in this thing down the stretch. They're going to need Jeff Locke one way or another uh, if they're going to compete in the playoffs at all. So uh, I think you know that's why they're not shutting him down or or anything like that. They they need the kid. Um, now he's a guy too that uh, it was a very interesting article on, in Fangraphs that that flip flop Rick Parcello and Jeff Locke. What if one pitched in Detroit and what if one pitched in Pittsburgh? showing the defensive help that Locke gets in PNC with Pittsburgh defense to help explain some of this, what we think is bad luck, um, which is kind of one of the reasons why I've actually stuck with Jeff Locke maybe a little bit longer than, than I normally would because I sort of think that it wasn't all bad luck. Uh, I think a lot of what happening here is he's tired, shown by that, that high walk rate, which then bridges back to stuff we've talked about before, if he's walking more people, is he pitching more from the uh, from the stretch, and does he pitch better from the windup? And you know, it could be a, a kind of a snowball effect going on. Right. So um, it's not a simple case of boom regression. He stinks, and, and and now we you know now we're seeing it. There, there's a there's a, there's some underlying factors that I think need to be considered. I don't know if I'm talking myself into starting him when he comes back in a couple weeks or not, but uh, I think it's not completely a sense of. Huh, told you so. Get up, you know. Everybody told you get him out of your lineup. You're silly to have him in there. At the same time, though, we we did suspect that there was less here than met the eye, and I guess the question that then arises is, how do you play a guy like Jeff Locke who's doing well but doesn't seem to have the skills to back up the performance? And not just pitchers, although I think they're more volatile. But any player who's consistently outperforming his his skills. To the extent that he's he's an all-star caliber pitcher, despite the fact that he's way short of all-star caliber skills, is there an object lesson here? I think, the, the, yeah, to me it is it's expectations. In that I was almost on Jeff Locke a lot this year, but as my as a streaming starter in mixed leagues, as you know, fifteen team mixed leagues, as a guy to have on the bench to put in there when he was at home. Now, when he's pitching so well, some people see the numbers in midseason and pick him up and expect those numbers. So I didn't necessarily, you know, personally, one of the reasons I kept him around was he was filling a role for me where he didn't need to be an all-star. He just needed to be a, a, a viable fifth starter. So I had a little bit of a margin of error, you know, as far as when he, when he does regress. Well, at least he's, this is what I paid for. This is what I expected. Now, of course, you know, your staff is built a certain way and you've got certain numbers. And, you know, you, you manage according to where your staff is. So, you know, when he goes down, your staff goes down as well a little bit. But I think a lot of what the issues were, too, is people picking him up off the waiver wire and not being totally cognizant of how to look at the peripherals like we talked about and, and their expectations were a little high. So if there's a lesson to me, it's what baseline are you expecting from him? Keep that and, you know, temper that so that when he does return to what is expected, it's it fits your staff. It doesn't hurt you. And you did make a good point about workload in the minors, about 
150 innings is as much as he ever pitched, and that's right where he is right now this year in, in the majors with a month yet to go. So it, it could be that he's just tired and worn out and maybe getting sent down, maybe pitching every sixth day instead of every fifth. Uh, recharge the batteries a bit, maybe that'll help. Uh, Todd, at KFFL.com, one of the places you write regularly, you have a regular roundtable column, and uh, just recently you looked at sub- September strategies, and in the course of doing that, you addressed a topic that's also come up in the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, and that is, what responsibility does a fantasy owner have to keep playing hard even if he's out of the race? Yeah, this this comes up this comes up every year, especially now that things are in general, not just not just the the, the industry leagues, but in general, some things are just so public now. Um, you know, people get called on on message boards and forums and, and things like that. Um, so we just you know everybody that's in the round table, we're all in either tout or labor or something like that. So we just asked the guys, and I actually I, I tempered, I, I I said to them. Let's not turn this into everybody saying that we owe it to, 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 to go hard. You know, let's assume that that we all believe we should play our hardest. Let's have one guy talk about it, and then let's all agree, and, and let's move on and, and talk about what we're going to do to play hard. So so Perry was the first. Perry Van Hook was the first to respond, and, and he, he laid it out very well, and that we, we owe it to not only our, our readers – uh, you know, people that follow the leagues to see how we're doing and that sort of thing. But we owe it to the, you know, it's a league where we're, it's, it's, it's a league unto itself. We owe it to our fellow combatants to, you know, keep playing, keep trying. You know, the championship means a little something with, you know, marketing and advertising. And you'd like to, you know, think that we beat a bunch of good guys and you'd like to think it was done because you're the, you were the best that year, not because you were best to take advantage of a couple of guys that uh, started to worry more about fantasy football, uh, you know, t- this is more general in every league, and, you know, tell wars and labor as well. Um, you know, you'd like the championship to be, you know, as hard as possible to win. And that means, you know, everybody keep playing and, you know, reserve moves, uh, if trades, if they're allowed, some leagues have got quirky rules where if a team is within X positions in the standings of you, you can still trade. Some teams just, you know, if a trade's good, I don't care when it's made. If it's a fair trade, it's a fair trade, and they'll let you go into September. Um, but, yeah, well, you know, I, you know, we all, it sounds, you know, martyristic, whatever, I don't know, you know, obvious, uh, cliche. But, you know, play it out to the end. You know, at least make sure that you DL guys have active guys in there and that, you know, you, you do your best to put the best active players, you know, look at the starting matchups of your pitchers, you know, don't have – don't have Jeff Locke in the lineup still because he's sent down to the minors and and whoever the Jeff Locke is that, that that's overachieving for you now, you know, get him out of there and, and, and put a guy in that could, uh, you know, put in Charlie Morton, you know, some some guy that can possibly help you. One of the things that uh, not so much in experts leagues, but certainly in regular home leagues that some owners don't seem to take f- full accounting for is that their approach seems to be I'm out of it. I don't want to affect the race, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to bid on fab guys in the free agent pool. I'm not going to make waivers claims. I'm not going to replace my injured guys or or demoted guys. And what they don't seem to get is their inactivity actually can affect the race just as much as if they were being active and trying to gain points because they sit there and they don't claim somebody, uh, Charlie Morton, uh, with their big fab wad. And instead, Charlie Morton goes to somebody higher up the food chain 
who might affect the race by getting a few extra wins or you know an ERA point or something like that. The way that the game works is, especially in rotisserie with categories, is that by not doing something, you're doing something. It's a some it's some zero game, and it's all tied together. Now I understand, and we talked about this last year in KFFL the roundtable, in a fairly uh, monstrous edition of it, and got all of Tout Wars and Labor involved. If you don't want to make a trade with the top team, I, you know, if you're only going to go from, you know, eleventh to ninth, and, and you do it via trade. I understand that, and I was actually the one that wouldn't make the trade with the top team because of it, um, because to me, going from 11th to 9th, but on the other hand, I do think you need to replace all your, uh, you know, work as hard as you can to manage to get as many points organically, if that's if that's the right way to put it, right. within, within the team itself, yeah. and by making fab claims, and by using your reserve list, and that sort of thing. So again, I, I do understand, you know, in certain leagues... Even if the trade might get you three or four points, um, I, I do understand it impacting the race in that manner. And some people said, "The heck with that! You're 11th, you know, go up to ninth. And that's why it was such a. I was actually in the minority of that of that particular argument. But in the same token, just because I was low in the standings, I was still fighting it for the same fab people, like you suggested, and uh, try to you know keep the points up to a a certain level. I thought Nick Minix uh, made a good point in your roundtable article. If you're already losing in your league, what do you have to lose? Why not make some experiments? Right now, yeah, there's you know there's a couple of different things. You know, we've talked about how you can, you know, play with your pitching a little bit and, and and just get every single starter there is and forget about the ratios and just go for those wins and Ks. You can do the opposite and you can just go for the middle relievers and and, and get rid of all your starters. I believe. I believe Phil Hertz has done that in NL Tout Wars to try to maximize his pitching points. I've done but it too. Someone like me that is just so anti-prospect trusting, so to speak. What I got to do is, you know, I just got to if if, an, if a manager announces that a call-up's going to play full time, you know, I don't need I don't need to look up what he's done. What is he an AD or you know what 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 you guys put him in your prospect ranking? If he's going to play more than the guy I got, I just got to put him in there. Um, you know, some, something like that, you know, and he, he can go, he can go all Jose Iglesias on us in three weeks. You just don't know, you know, throw the, throw the pedigree out the window in three weeks worth of time at bats or everything. And sometimes that's difficult to do. <laughs> uh, you know, if you, if you know, I want to see that I'm not going to trust this prospect until, you know, I, you know, what I, what I, what I know he can do at bats are important at this point. And, uh, and that's sometimes, you know, to me, that would be the thing I would do that would be different is just trusting guys I wouldn't trust normally. We've talked in the past, Todd, about the mechanisms that some leagues use to try to encourage competitiveness. I think most well-managed leagues have realized now, for instance, that you should organize your uh, future draft, 5th to 12th, and then 4-3-2-1, rather than rewarding a guy for tanking all the way to the bottom, giving him first pick in any kind of uh, advantageous position in a future draft or future activity. So most leagues are doing that. But some leagues also have tried giving out prizes for category winners, and I thought you made a really good point in the roundtable that this might not be such a good idea. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been in a couple leagues and I've seen it firsthand. So just you know, quickly explain it. It's obviously a league with an entry fee, and you know, winner gets XXX, whatever. And if you win the whip, you get you know a small amount of money. It doesn't pay back your your dues normally, but it's certainly better than you know than getting nothing. And what I've seen is. 
especially in the categories like steals and saves, teams just do wacky things to get back their you know, arbitrary number, you know, 10 bucks or 15 or 20 bucks, um, you know, for winning that category uh, as opposed to just, you know, getting nothing and, and, and you know, having a, a subpar season. And the way they do it, though, is is overall they lose points to gain points in that particular category. Yeah. I got no problem, like we're saying, you know, trying to make your team better in any way possible. But to get, a, you know, to earn a little bit, to earn a couple of jelly beans by making your team worse, it almost, I hate the intention of walk in baseball because I hate the fact that you can, uh, a guy on second base, you can improve your defensive stead by walking a guy. Uh, I don't. I it just bothers me. <laughs> yeah. But um. But I understand why you do it. So it's kind of the same thing here. Is is you know. All right. Listen. I mean, money's money. You know, who's going to tell me not to earn money? If I can earn money in front of me, I'm gonna I'm gonna trade away my Miguel Cabrera for your Jonathan Villar because it's going to help me. You know, earn my. You know, help me win a couple of bucks. And who's do you? You know, who who are you to say that I don't need the money? It just, so I don't like that rule. Um, is what I'm trying to say in a really roundabout sort of way, and um. I think Tout Wars has an interesting way of, of getting around that and that there's a minimum threshold of points, necessary roto points, and if you're below that threshold the following season when you're invited back, you start with a couple of less fab dollars, and it doesn't seem like much, but depending upon the situation, you know, it could be pretty, it, it could hurt, it, it could cost you a player, uh, so it's worth, at least in Tout Wars, to fight to get to that threshold, so that you enter the season with the you know with the, with the the clean hundred dollars fab just like everybody else. Well, I, I was facing that situation this year in Tout Wars mixed, Todd, and I made some trades. I don't know that they were particularly controversial, but I did at one point trade Cole Hamels and David Price in a deal t- to get some uh, additional offense. Dustin Pedroia, I think I got, and somebody else like that. Because I could move in those categories, and I was stuck in wins and Ks. I was, uh, was going to get one in e- both of those categories no matter what. And so I thought, I might as well do this. And at the time, I was, I don't know, eighth or ninth or something like that. I believe, as a result, I could finish as high as fifth, which I think is a, a positive result for me. However... The guy I dealt with got, who got Price and Hamels may win the league as a result of it, and I don't know that I think some people think I should feel bad about that, and i got to admit I don't. I'm going to move up from the mid-60s points to the mid-80s points. I think it was a, a, something that was well worth doing. Well, absolutely, you know, and, and you got yourself a full boat of fab for next season. You made the same trades you would have made to go from fourth to first. They just brought you from, you know, 8th to, or, you know, whatever, 11th to 8th or 6th or whatever the numbers are. No, I don't, there's nothing to feel bad about in that. And, in, 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 you know, if, do they really feel bad or do they feel, you know, guilty that they didn't make a like trade to keep up with the, you know, they should have made a trade themselves to, uh, to, to defensively or combat it or to get the extra point themselves. A lot of times people, sour grapes about deals is, is more guilt that they didn't take care of business on their own end. True enough. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And Todd, in your Under the Microscope column at ESPN.com, you looked for some unheralded starting pitchers who might be some help for fantasy teams down the stretch. I know you do these columns with standard 10-team ESPN Mixed League players in mind, which is a different kind of rostering situation, very shallow. But what were your criteria to look for these starters? Yeah, we sort of combined a few things that we 
that we talked about the past couple uh, sessions in that uh, it's best to look at more recent performance just to flesh out a lot of the stuff that happened earlier in the season as far as if you just look at your surface stats. And now's the time to start to work in some of these guys so you're not fighting with the masses in the next couple of weeks in the middle of September when everybody's trying to get those innings, everybody's trying to get those maximum starts. So we, we, we just wanted to get an early jump to people to make sure that they maxed out in those particular categories. So that was sort of, you know, that, that was sort of the, the emanation of the article because it, it kind of had built on a couple of other things that they had written for ESPN. So we needed to come up with the criteria. And, like, the whole the theme was I'm not telling you that these guys are going to do well, but I think they have a chance. There's something to hang your hat on other than, you know, the, the fact that they're starting. There's something there that to hang your hat on to – to give you a reason that they could be uh, helpful down the stretch. And if you just sort by the straight, the regular categories, you may not have seen that. So that was kind of the, the big, the big picture thinking. And so we used the, the criteria, uh, you know, a certain amount of, you know, one of the nice things about doing this for ESPN is, you know, they can tell you exactly how many leagues they're owned in. So we were able to set a, a cutoff that they were owned in, in, in less than one third of ESPN standard leagues. Um, and then I just used, it was somewhat arbitrary, but a K-9 rate of 7. And since there were some decent pitchers that have a, a, a K-9 below 7, uh, we just uh, we sent the, the K per BB. And, you know, to talk in baseball HQ terms, if their DOM was 7 or above, they were included. And if their command ratio was 3.5 or greater, they were included in the, uh, in the filter. And we just... Gave a little thumbnail sketch of some guys that that fit those criteria since the All Star break, and again they, I think I used the um, what was the movie uh, with Dumb and Dumber, you know. So you're telling me I have a chance, sort of pitchers. And uh, just tell us quickly a couple of the guys you found. Give me some, one guy from the American League. Uh, Danny Salazar, Todd Redman. Well, I, 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 I'll go with Todd Redman just because who the heck's going to start? A uh, you know an AL you know someone from Toronto and a good hitting park in the AL East. Well, the guy the guy not only is having a a, a dom over nine for the season uh, for the for the for the couple of weeks he's had it you know a dom over ten, sorry dom over ten for the past couple of weeks, but it's been over nine for the season. Um, so if you're chasing strikeouts and you might want to get an occasional win, you know Redmond would be a guy that uh, you know can stick stick in your lineup. Um, National League, you know, someone like, well, we mentioned, you know, we mentioned Charlie Morton, although I don't think he's a secret anymore because he had another great right. game this week. But Charlie Morton was a guy that I was looking to get in as many lineups as I possibly could uh, as far as uh, guys to help down the stretch. And the other, just because more National League pitchers are already on a roster, it was, the list was heavily tinted to the American League. But there's some, there's some Colorado Rocky pitchers that aren't that bad. Tyler Chatwood and Jules Shasheen are both worth rostering uh, at this point of the season if you, if you know over some of the other pitchers that are available. Chatwood in particular has got some pretty good peripherals since the All-Star break. A Dom over eight, and uh, although his command ratio is just a little bit under three, 
it's uh, it's still pretty good. Yeah. Um, Tyson Ross is another guy. He's got Petco as his fourth outfielder, as I like to say. So he's another guy. And although he may be, I don't, to this audience anyway, I'm pretty sure that he's probably gone already. Yeah. But uh, at least to the ESPN group at the time, he was still available. Yeah, I imagine a lot of guys, uh, Tyson Ross, guys like that, are going to be drafted. You talked about wins briefly, and you made an allusion to the fact that they're they're pretty unpredictable, especially in such a short run. But unpredictability doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to get wins. It could mean they're going to get more than you think. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, and the other thing, too, is we're – at a point of the season where even if you are projecting them, well, you're going to project, you know, Cliff Lee to get three, and you're going to project someone else to get two. I mean, even if you do want to, I mean, at this point, even if you use math, it's so so close that you just, you know, throw it away. You just you just don't know. You hear all the time of a lesser pitcher, you know, being on a, having a three-game winning streak. Well, if he does that now, he's going to win, you know, three of the four games in September or, you know, or whatever. Um so, you know, it's, it's tough. It, you know, we, on one hand, we say don't chase wins, chase skills. On the other hand, if you need wins to win the league, man, you know, I, I sure want a guy pitching on a better team, you know, than I do, you know, a higher skilled player on a lesser team, especially if the reason the team isn't so good is because of their offense. Some people forget that uh, sometimes, you know, there's, there's several different reasons why a team isn't very good. You know, if, if you've got a poor pitcher with a, a good offense, he might be able to get the wins. You know, you have to – sometimes you have to chase, you know, and, and not go cliche. But um, it depends what your ratios are and that sort of thing. I've always thought that, especially at, at this time of year, when you're talking about what may be about eight, six to eight starts per pitcher, depending on where they sit in the rotation, you know, it, it's entirely possible that – even a even a uh, a pitcher on a bad team could just luck into three or four wins in six starts. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I just think you have to put it to one side, and and hope to get your strikeouts, which are more reliable. Hope to get some decent innings with relatively uh, stable or decent ERAs and WHIPs. And if you get your wins, you get your wins. Good for you. Right. If you're down two, if you're in a head-to-head league or whatever, you're down two wins and. You've got. I was about to say Felix Hernandez. Oh boy, uh, he's he's hurting me lately. You know, if you've if you've got you know if you've got Clayton Kershaw and and with one game, and you've got you know Brett Obelheiser with two, and you need two wins, they're not going to bring Kershaw out of relief. You got to get you got to use the guy that's got to get the two starts. Right. You know, you got to use Bruce Chen. If you you've got to use a guy like that if he's got two starts in a week. So sometimes it's just a matter of odds and, and increasing your chances by going with a lesser two-start pitcher over a better, you know, Cole Hamels with one start or or Garrett Richards with two. Sometimes you just got to go with the two. Absolutely. Todd, this is the time in our segment when I'd say look forward to talking with you next week, but uh, we're kind of bringing the show to a close here at Baseball HQ Radio. We'll have a couple in September, as I mentioned, and you will be back at the end of September. We're going to be giving out our annual Fantasy Baseball uh, Season Awards, Fantasy MVP, Fantasy Cy Young, and so forth. So uh, until then, let me just say it's been great fun having you on the show this year. I'm hopeful that you'll be able to find the time to join us when we get rolling again in January. January, and uh, thanks very much for everything that you've done for Baseball HQ Radio. It's been my pleasure, and if anybody that's listening is going to be in Arizona or at the Arizona Fall League, uh, trust me, I'm, I'm not very hard to find. 
uh, come up, say hello, and we'll uh, we'll chat. Absolutely. First Pitch Arizona is the most fun you can have outside of draft day, as they say. Todd, thanks again. Excellent, Patrick. Looking forward to talking to you at the end of the month. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and ESPN.com in the insider section of their fantasy baseball coverage. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Ordinarily, our minor league minute runs on our Tuesday editions, but we don't have any more Tuesday editions the rest of this season. So with Ryan Bloomfield on deck with HQ matchups, here's BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst Rob Gordon with the last minor league minute of this fantasy season talking about Pittsburgh right-handed pitching prospect Tyler Glasnow. The Pittsburgh Pirates' Tyler Glasnow is quickly developing into one of the more dominant pitching prospects in the National League, but it was not always immediately obvious that he would be this good this quickly. In high school, Glasnow was a skinny but athletic 6'7 right-hander who had a mid-80s fastball and mixed in a curve, a slider, and a changeup, but none of them were very special. The Pirates really liked his projectability, however, and took him in the fifth round of the 2011 draft. Glasnow didn't make his pro debut until 2012 and was limited to just 38 innings, but in those innings there were signs that something special was developing. Glasnow was quickly becoming more physical and his fastball jumped into the 90-93 to range and was now topping out at 96 miles an hour. He showed good control and struck out more than a batter per nine, while limiting opposing hitters to a 168 batting average against. We were fairly bullish in our preseason evaluation of Glasnow, noting that he still had some projectability left but few saw this type of breakout coming. Glasnow's fastball now sits in the 95-97 range, and his curve and changeup are considered above average. Glasnow also showed improved command as the season progressed, and now looks like a future staff ace. In 23 starts for Low A West Virginia, Glasnow is 8-3 with a 2.29 ERA. He also struck out a minor league leading 13.5 per nine, while limiting opposing hitters to a remarkable 148 batting average against in 106 innings. Glasnow will need to prove that 2013 was no fluke, but he has certainly turned more than a few heads and is a player worth putting on your roster. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garapi, Chris Maloney, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-up reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for HQ Matchups, our regular Friday edition look at some pitchers and their opponents this coming week. Remember, our BaseballHQ.com matchup ratings run from plus 5, which is a must start, to minus 5, which is a must sit. Now looking at Alex Wood hosting Miami and Chad Bettis facing Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers, here's BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Alex Wood is certainly impressed in his first full season with Atlanta as he's put up a 2.27 ERA and 1.11 whip through 63 innings. Wood's striking out over a batter per inning so far with a 49% ground ball rate that's keeping the balls in the park. He'll face Miami on Sunday with a 2.5 matchup rating from BaseballHQ.com starting pitching report. Wood was recently profiled in a fact flu column by BaseballHQ.com's Brent Hershey, where Brent noted that Wood is, quote, more of a mid-rotation starter than an ace, but he looks like a pitcher to ride for now. So we'll keep riding Wood in his 3.03 expected ERA, especially against MLB's worst lineup on Sunday. 
Felix Dubron gets a favorable matchup against the White Sox, who placed last in the AL in runs scored this season. Dubron's 2.73 rating says he's a fine play as opposing lefties have averaged a 3.7 pure quality start score against Chicago on the road this year. Dubron should be a good source of strikeouts given his 7.9 dominance, and his 3.74 ERA this year is backed up by his sub-4 expected ERA, so he's definitely a go here. Now on to someone to avoid. Chad Bettis faces the White Hot Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw in Coors Field on Monday. Bettis has six major league starts under his belt this year since he was called up on August 1st to replace Roy Oswalt. The results so far have not been good. A 534 expected ERA, 1.1 command ratio, and a sub-zero BPV all point to another rough outing this time around. The Rockies will continue to roll Bettis out there for lack of better options, but you probably have better options yourself, so avoid Bettis in this matchup. And finally, pitching in Rangers' ballpark is a tough task for anyone, especially if your name is Kevin Correa. Correa does, does just that on Sunday in a park that boosts run scoring by 22% per BaseballHQ.com's park factors. Correa's 4.32 ERA this year is spot on with his expected ERA, and while he consistently shows plus control, he's just not getting strikeouts. A 5.1K per 9 this year is on track to be his best since 2010. Now, Correa did toss eight shutout innings in his only start against Texas back in April, but his negative .19 matchup rating doesn't expect a repeat this time around. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Attention, anybody who streams their pitchers, salary cap gamers, anybody who can take advantage of matchups, Ryan Bloomfield, Troy Martell, and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchups reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for August 30th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 40, the last regular show of the 2013 fantasy baseball season. I also want to thank our guests, our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday correspondent, Todd Zola. Rob Gordon coming in on a Friday with the Minor League Minute. And our HQ Matchups commentator, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Thanks as well to our Master Notes commentators this year from BaseballHQ.com, Phil Hertz, Dave Adler, Dan Becker, and Pat DiCaprio did a great job for us. And I want to take a few seconds to recognize all our feature guests this season who did a great job sharing their insights and wisdom, and I'm very grateful to each of them. Thank you to Steve Gardner from usatoday.com and USA Today, the print edition, Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of baseball, a great guy to talk to, Jason Collette and Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com, Joe Sheehan was here a couple of times, Always good to hear from Joe and to read his Joe Sheehan Baseball Newsletter. If you're not getting it, you should be. Jonah Carey from Grantland.com. Larry Schechter, one of the winningest fantasy players ever. Larry has a book coming out in January. You can check out Winning Fantasy Baseball Secret Strategies of a Seven-Time National Champion at the website winningfantasybaseballthebook.com or you can pre-order at Amazon and other booksellers. We had a couple of visits from Lore Michaels from MastersBall.com. Always a great time talking with Lore. I also got to talk with three of my Tout Wars compatriots from the Mixed League Auction. Corey Schwartz and Fred Zinke are players in the league. And Peter Kreutzer of AskRotoman.com and AlexPatton.com. 
He's the commissioner of the league and a real knowledgeable guy as well. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't thank all our feature guests from BaseballHQ.com, which I like to call the best fantasy baseball website in the business, and I admit I'm a little biased. Ron Shander came by a couple of times. Ray Murphy was here a couple of times. Rob Gordon came by, and he'll be back again, as I said at the start of the show, on September the 13th to talk about the minor league season and the upcoming Arizona Fall League. We had a visit from Doug Dennis, the bullpen's columnist, and Andy Andres, the baseball professor. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks on Friday the 13th of September. That's our next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.